to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast producer of the month is Steve Corey. Thank you, Steve. Be just like Steve and get rewarded for supporting our podcast. Head over to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. Go to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Gilbert Gottfried. As always, thank you for your generosity. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're here at the legendary Friars Club in New York City in the George Burns Room. Our guest this week is an actor, comedian, writer, and producer who's appeared in films such as Good Morning Vietnam, Batman, Bull Durham, Cobb, Blue Chips, Mistress, and Hollywood Nights, working alongside everyone from Paul Newman to Robert De Niro to Jack Nicholson, just to name a few. TV appearances include Boston Legal, Franklin and Bash, Everybody Hates Chris, as well as his own HBO series, Assume the Position, and the long-running HBO comedy, Arliss. Please welcome a man who, in spite of knowing me for 40 years, is still on speaking terms with me. The most knowledgeable man in show business. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Our friend, Robert Wall. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here at the Friars, aptly named because I'm broiling in this place. If we could do what is it, 162 that? degrees in here? We'll see oh, if we can do something man. about oh, that. Oh, it's awful. It's like yes. A, you wouldn't know Jews ran this place. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Whoa. Now, we, My grandmother would be bitching out on it. That's how hot it is. It's too hot. It's too hot. I got to take off one of my three sweaters. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, I'm sorry. You have a show to do. <laughs> now, <laughs> He's complaining already. Yeah. Now let let's start with how long we've known. Well, we met at either the improvisation or catch rising or star, I think, or one of them. Yeah, um, uh, nineteen. It's got to be seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. And and let's talk about all the people who were around there struggling to get on stage. Well, it was. Uh, I remember the first night I went to go see comics at because I wasn't on stage yet. Yeah. I went to the comic strip, and I saw you. I saw the Reverend George Wallace back then. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I saw um, Larry Miller and Paul Reiser and Jerry Seinfeld. And I didn't think Larry was a comic strip person. Uh, you know who I saw there was Alan... Uh, who's the on Fox News? Uh, Alan Combs. Oh, Alan uh, Combs. Yes, yeah. Alan, Alan Combs yeah. was a comic. Uh, let's just say he was trying comedy. Uh, 
<laughs> the uh, but uh, he was a nice guy. Uh, yeah. uh, was Wolfberg around then? Wolf, De- Dennis yeah. was Dennis around then? He come a little late, right about yeah. then. Yeah. yeah, Dennis was there, and then there was uh, was Ellis Levinson and guys oh, like that. Oh yeah, and then and, and then the other people that we basically fell in with was Glenn Hirsch, Barry Diamond, Bob Shaw. Uh, Larry, Jerry. Uh, yeah, Larry, David, and Jerry Larry, Seinfeld. Jerry. Uh, Keenan Waynes comes a little bit later. Uh, who else am I leaving out? Jack Grayman was a comic back then. Yeah, later on, then there was um, a Dennis Miller and, right. and uh, Bill Maher. Yeah, they were. Left. Yeah, yeah. They were much gone at 679. So I, they were just about coming in then when I left. And and you you remembered it. And, well, I remembered it, too. It's not like I forgot but like, well, Robin, Robin yeah. Williams used to come in a lot. Yes, yeah, and I remember that because that was a, that was a great that was a difference maker. That was a game changer because he could come in and the act and what he was doing, he could have ten people in and uh, yeah, he'd blow away the room. And but that 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 had a conundrum then because you didn't want to follow Robin because that was death, but you didn't want to go on before him because then you had no act. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so it was like, if Robin's in another club, can I go to right now? Let's just wanted to watch him, which was, all, which was wonderful. But, uh, but when Robin was there, you'd, uh, you know, it was, it was something to see, and he'd come in from that side door, we'd open oh, the yes. side door. Although Rodney would come in, too, because I'd come oh, with yes. Rodney. I, was, I started writing for Rodney right away. So... Um, that that was those are good times. And Tell- I remember I I used to go on stage with Robin Williams. Yeah, you did. And and he yeah, loved working with you. Yeah, and we used to like just improvise back and forth. How many times did you do that? Oh, uh, a I, bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a lot. Because you he, do it a catch too, or just the improv? Uh, I think both. Uh-huh. Yeah, because Robin, you know, he liked to have someone to work off of, and it was. I always say it was both invigorating and exhausting at the same time, but it was great working with them. But if you ask me, out of all the people whose success, the enormity of success, I would have never. We talked about Larry. Yeah, yeah. But Larry I'll throw Kuhn. another name in there Chris Albrecht. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Oh, Albrecht yes. and Zamuda. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was half of a comedy team that broke up. Now, I, I, was, I came in after that. Yeah. But he was the manager of the improv. He put me on stage. Chris yeah, was my yeah. backer. Chris put me on stage. And then, of course, Chris leaves Charlie Joffe and Larry Bresner, may he rest in peace now, um, come in with Robin. Yeah. And this is the height of Woody Allen. They've just won the – they were about to win the Oscar. They just yeah. won the Oscar. And they – and they had the comedy and they were the kings of comedy because of Woody Allen. And, they had, and it's Rollins and Joffe. And they come in with Robin – and they offer now. I'm not speaking out of turn now either. Okay, there was also a common element going on involved here. That's cocaine, because <laughs> <laughs> these guys were doing a lot of blow, a lot. Of, well, everybody, yeah, I was doing yeah, it. So, yeah. um, but these guys were really doing a lot of it. This was the times. And Chris, Chris's best friend, remember Angel? Oh yes, he was one of the two or three biggest coke dealers in New a- York. Angel, Angel Salazar. Oh, Angel Salazar. Who would later him. pop up in uh, in. Scarface yeah. and right. I don't know what happened to Angel. If he's still around or not, Chris might know. I'm sure he probably does. Yeah, and he he was always hanging out. Great with guy. Sam Sam terrific guy. Well, Sam comes yeah. later. Sam's oh, later. No, but I mean Angel would. Well, uh, that would make sense. Got that would make that. sense. It's the, best but, but, but that's years later. Yeah. Uh, but so Chris and uh, Charlie Joffe and Larry Bresner helped to get Chris a job at ICM as an agent. Yeah. 
Now, Chris had bought a piece of the improv from Bud Friedman. When Bud went to the West Coast to open up the L.A. Club, he sold a piece of it to Chris, and then Chris became the manager of the club. And Chris, I'll tell you, here, here's the great thing about Chris Albrecht, though. He knew how to put together a lineup. He was really good. He knew how to put together a, a lineup in that you don't have all your comics. He knew how to take this comic and then put him to have a, have a singer here, Joni yeah. Peltz or somebody, oh, yes. Shelley Ackerman, yeah. you know. And then you'd have uh, and then you'd have a couple different type of comics. He knew how to put together a lineup, so it built, which he later did at HBO. He knew how to put together a lineup, um, uh, but the amount of success has been incredible. Oh yeah, incredible. Yeah. But those are all good people. I have to say, they're all really well, good. What talent. was their comedy like? We had Zamuda on the show. I I, a, a comedy I, from A to Z. A to Z. Albrecht and Zamuda. Yeah, I, I never sketches. saw it. No, I never saw, saw it. it. I, it, was, it was so good they broke up fast. Right. I mean, it's like you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I remember with Larry David, he was one of those people who could either have become a billionaire or been homeless. Yeah, a billionaire would have yeah. been a long stretch. You yeah, would have uh, never, you would have never thought that. No, Chris, yeah. at least, you know, I mean, Larry's success is, whereas well-deserved, it's, it's, it's the most surprising. Yeah. Because of just, what, you know, you just didn't see it coming. You know, you just didn't see it. You saw talent. You loved watching comics. Love the two comics you loved to watch was Larry David and Gilbert mm-hmm. because you didn't know what the fuck the audience was going to do. <laughs> you know, and you didn't know how this one didn't give a shit. Larry did give a shit. Larry gave a Yo, shit. Too he much got pissed of off. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, this one didn't. This <laughs> one didn't didn't yeah. they put you up sometimes, Gil, when they wanted to just get everybody to clear out of the, the house? Crowd out, yeah, because I didn't give a fuck <laughs> and anything that popped That's into right. my head. And if they were booing me, I just do it even longer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm reminded of. Norman's Corner too, the Cinemax comedy experiment that Larry David wrote starring Gilbert. I don't remember. Yeah, you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry David uh, uh, was the writer of this uh, pilot, Norman's Corner, and can't um, even find it. By the way, yeah, maybe you have one. I think it's it's they, they threw it on with another special. I did. It's really Larry's pretty- probably bought it out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's been known to do stuff like that. It was too. a Cinemax so, comedy experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard it was so bad that when uh, when Jerry Seinfeld was up for his series oh. Seinfeld, uh, he said, "Well, uh, I'm doing it with Larry David," and they said. Uh, Larry David, isn't he that guy that wrote that piece of shit with Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> also, we almost co-starred in a movie together. Yeah, yeah, I fucked that up. I fucked that problem, child. They came to me, actually. I met with Dennis, uh, David, um, they, uh, Dennis, oh, Dennis Dugan, Dugan for the yeah. lead. For the league. And I wasn't that crazy about the movie. I mean, I just, you know, <laughs> you know here I am coming up with Batman and Bull Durham and those high-class shit. And here's Problem Child, which is like a piece of shit to me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and being an asshole and arrogant, I said, yeah. I put it this way. I don't know if they ever offered it, but I wasn't, I didn't give an enthusiastic enough response. Yes. Like, let's yeah. go do this thing. We're going to work, yeah. work together, blah, blah, blah. It was two of them. It was Problem Child. And what was the other one? Was Star one? Wars. <laughs> no, 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 no. no it was, it was something else. I forgot what it was. But anyway, be that as it may. Talk a, tell a little bit about, uh, uh, about approaching Rodney when you were writing for him. He had a club, Dangerfields. I just started. I just, I think I just became a regular or so at the improv. And I loved Rod, watching Rodney on TV. You know, he was cracking me up down when I was going to school in Houston. We'd always watch Rodney because he had these great jokes. He had the character and everything. And I thought, you know, this is a guy who might be able to write some jokes for. I was writing jokes for some comics in Houston. And so he had a club, Dangerfields. And so one day I 
go up there and I tell I think Tony, I think the guy's name was, who was the head of the door. I said, I got some jokes for Rodney. And he goes, well, he's downstairs in the dressing room. So I go downstairs, I knock on the door, okay, kid, come on in, you know? Yeah. And uh, you know, as Rodney's want, he's naked except for the robe, which is wide open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm looking at this guy. And, um, you know, and, and he goes, oh, and so he goes, I, go, I got some jokes for you. And he goes, well, you can try them. And he, I go, he goes, go ahead. I go, okay, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape, you know? Guy comes up to me at the airport. He says, let me find out till payday. I say, when's payday? He says, I don't know. You got the job. <laughs> and he goes, okay, the kid, the jokes are good, but don't do me. Don't do me. <laughs> I love so that. So I started getting $50 a joke from Rodney, which is, and then I'm just starting out now, and then that, the fact that he was using my jokes, a joke or two, on The Tonight Show with Car- when he went on there, was total credibility to my parents. Because my father, he's a businessman, and he owned a business, and he couldn't understand, why am I driving at midnight to go to New York 25 miles away so I can go on for nothing? A reasonable question. Yeah, it's not, yeah exactly. So, but th- because my joke was on The Tonight Show, it was like, you know, it was credibility. And my m- mother told me later that they had discussions. What is he doing? He goes, I know it's in his heart. And it's, my mother was very supportive, saying, Sonny, let him do what he does. You know, let him do it. He's, he knows what he wants. See, this is something that's so weird. When I think back on my parents... And I think I, God knows what was going through their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was like uh, if your kid said to you, well, I'm going to support myself. I'll buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. And Do you I'll remember their reaction better. at all? We've, we've asked about this. We've I, about I remember it. one time I had already gone to like a comedy club and I was going to go again. And, and my mother didn't want me to. And because back then that's so, I mean, now. When there was I no think, comedy clubs. You couldn't make yeah. a living. No, and, yeah. and I remember we couldn't even get a glass. Forget getting cab fare or money. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't get a glass of soda. You were charged for a glass of soda. <laughs> yeah. That must yeah. have been hard on you. In oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was awful. And then the first one to give cab fare, I think Rick Newman was giving cab fare a little yeah. bit. But he gave it to certain guys. Yes. He gave, yes. It, to Bell, he gave it to certain guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with me, and then and then I get lucky because a um, couple of things. I, I start I start writing for Rodney, so that gave me like a, give me credit, give me street cred in the club. Didn't he leave messages on your answering yes. machine? By the way, yes. And, he'd, and, he, and I was telling him, and he yes. pa- and he paused for the laughs. I love that. Absolutely true story. He yeah. would go, "Hey Bob, what do you think of this one? You know, I've been working some tough rooms. I worked Vinny's Boom. Oh, that was a tough room. On the menu, they had broken leg of lamb. So what do you think? And, you know, <laughs> he would do that absolutely." But so I'm doing that, and then I get lucky because I go on the twenty thousand dollar pyramid and I win. So I got I got a couple of bucks, you know. So I win, and what's weird is the day it's aired, my dad dies that night. Uh, So that was kind of strange. So it was, and this is all within. And then I'm gone out of there on so like on January of. I, I, the first I got called out to do uh, the Tony Tennille pilot. This guy, Bob Shanks, came in. And he brought me out to do the Tony Tennille. I was going to have a talk show. No captain? Just Tony. No, he, no it was Tony. No, yeah. it was just Tony. Okay. Oh, that was, was that her talk show? Or? Yeah, it was yeah. dreadful. Oh, horrible. Dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> I met Bob Hope. He was the guest star. Oh, so the God. first comic I meet is Bob Hope. So. Yeah. And it's like, I wanted to meet you. you know, it's my first show. Hey, how about that? You know, it's like. <laughs> but it was cool. You met Bob Hope. And, um, and then I move out right away. I'm only there about. A year and a half at the improv, and then I move out to California in 79. Who was your, uh, who was your celebrity uh, partner on Pyramid? Sandy Duncan. Love that. Yeah. No, that was great. That was great. That was good. Did you win the whole amount? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was helpful. I mean, I had a little... And it turns up in an episode of Arliss, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it did. Luckily, I got cast in a movie right away. I got cast in in this movie called The Hollywood Nights. And I remember... I was I, I was out in L.A. to do something. I forget what. And then I decided I wanted to stay out a little longer. And I was staying at your house. Wow. The, the house the house or the apartment? Uh, I think the house. The one up in Silver Lake? I was only there a little while. Oh. But I had an apartment in Westwood. Well, one or the other. Okay. I okay. remember being in your house. Okay. Well, that's got to be the house. But, but I remember you were auditioning for something. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Hollywood Nights because... Probably. You are going to the audition wearing a baseball cap. That's it. That's absolutely yes. it. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. We got a big Hollywood Nights fan in the room right over here, Neil. Okay. Our documentary maker. Yeah, no, it's actually and, a lot of good talent in that movie. I have to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. talent. Danza, and, Michelle Pfeiffer. It was all you? our first films. Michelle Pfeiffer, Tony Danza, myself. Um, uh, Fran Drescher's in that right. movie. Gaylord Sartain. Uh, some a lot of ta- Floyd knew how to get talent. That's Floyd Mutrix. He knew talent. That's the one thing he didn't know. I like his other movie too, American Hot American Hot Wax. Wax is pro- yeah. yeah, that's a good movie good. too. The uh, yeah, so I got that. When did you appear on the Dating Game? I found that interesting. Oh well, when we when I first started doing stand up, the Dating Game was a paying gig. It was an after gig, and uh, you could make you know you would make your rent payment by going on the Dating Game. And they loved using comics. Yeah. They used uh, Tom Selleck was on it. Oh yes, I mean uh, Pee Wee Herman, Andy that. Kaufman. We'd all they, it was a way to pay rent. So yeah. I would go on. There's different characters. One time I was Lawrence Talbot. Oh yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I went on as different people. I went on one time. I got myself all bandaged up with blood, and I went on as a, and I won twice. I used to do yeah. a routine about this about going on the dating game, and I remember I won, and uh, I went on the date with the chaperone. I always joked he got laid, yeah. and. Um, and then, and then I, I always joked about the Arm and Hammer baking soda. I got like fifty pounds of Arm and Hammer baking soda. You know, it was something. <laughs> but the dating game, I was on about four times, and because they liked to have me, because I could think on my feet, and it paid the rent. You know, Pee Wee Herman's was always on there. We, we, a lot of all actors and improv people went on there because it paid the rent. Interesting. Yeah. Getting back to the uh, problem child, where you said no to that. That's after Batman. Yeah, you told a story about you, uh, someone you went to college with. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Yeah, Dennis Quaid and I were classmates, and at the time, uh, I got the script, and I, it was really, I just thought so, you know, I said, what do I, this is, you know, and I said, Glenn, Dave, I, I got to De- Dennis, you know, this is a real piece of shit, you know, should I do it? I was very high standards then. And uh, he said, yeah, he goes, I wish I would have done five more pieces of shit when I was ro- ro- doing it, you know, I wish I had done five more, do them all. And he was right, he was totally yeah. right, you know, but uh, they had moved on by that time. And uh, what are you going to do? Well, we should point out that the, one of the writers did cry at the screening. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a problem child. So, yeah, it was, Scott. it was one of those movies that everybody was expecting it to be a complete failure. Yeah, no, very successful. It shocked everybody. There was another one. I can't think of the other one. There was another one like that, too. That, you know, what's going to happen? So you're bouncing around in L.A., and, and you wound up writing uh, on a cult comedy show. Police squad. Oh, police squad. Police squad happens right after Hollywood Nights. I, I had auditioned for the Zucker Brothers for Airplane. Right. You know, me and thousand others, me and Letterman, and everybody else auditioned for Airplane, and uh, and but they hired me to write Police Squad, and that was a great experience. One of my favorite. Very, very short lived. Yeah. Very short lived. Very funny. Great. Met some people. Learned a lot. Uh, you know, it eventually became the Naked Gun series. But I liked working with those guys a lot, a lot. I learned a lot. And Joe Dante directed your two episodes. He did. Future, he did. Yeah. Uh, future podcast guest here. Good guy. 
Yeah, director of uh, Piranha. I found and, uh, Grem- did he Gremlins? Gremlins, Gremlins yeah. yes. Yeah. I found interesting. I found a quote Matt Groening talking about Police Squad saying that he thought one of the reasons it didn't succeed was the rapid fire of jokes were too much for the audience at that time, and he's, if it, I if think it existed today. Right. The the head of a, uh, ABC at the time, it was a good guy, so I won't use his name. He made the comment, and the problem with Police Squad is you have to watch it, and, and it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, but it made a lot of sense. I don't think he knew it made a lot of yeah. sense, but it did make a lot of sense. And it, and it, it's like it's funny, Zook, Zucker and Abrams. Yeah. It's like how many filmmakers watch their films and think, oh, oh, I know how to do that. No, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, Very and you oh, a see, lot of copycats, and yeah, there, there were so many, and they they would even hire Leslie Nielsen, yeah. thinking, yeah. "Well, that'll Leslie's funny." Leslie yeah. was very funny. He'd have this concert. You know, he was his whole practical joke was he had one of these fart machines. Oh, I remember. He, he was oh, with it. It was. Yeah. It drove you crazy. It drove you crazy. You know, the first twenty times, it's kind of funny, you know. But after that, oh, he was obsessed with. I remember one time he was. I was working with him. And he was, I said, oh, I have one of those. It never really worked. And he goes, okay, which type do you have? Oh, you're Is this the type oh, with the black uh, bottom and the red top? Because that's worth it. Oh, so he was a real what? craftsman. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was an expert on these yeah, okay. fart makers. Okay, so he was a fartologist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when did things look up, Robert? When, it changes when? with uh, a couple of things. One, a couple of things in a row. One is uh, Mary Lambert sees me at the Improv in L.A. and hires me to improvise the beginning of a scene with Keith Carradine for she was going to direct Madonna's Material Girl video. And we had this thing in the beginning where I was the yes man to his Howard Hughes-esque studio head. And I was doing this thing and it took – started the beginning of Material Girl, which was the biggest video of its time, and that helped. Then Barry Levinson, who I had auditioned for Diner with, and I auditioned for two or three times, was very supportive. You auditioned for Gutenberg's part yes. of Diner, yeah. And uh, he cast me in Good Morning Vietnam, and that was a great experience. Of course, Robin and I were friends beforehand, so that was really nice to have somebody you knew, and that was just a great experience. It was great people on that. Um, just, just terrific experience. Good Morning Vietnam, which... Uh, I then audition for and get do the worst to, for the director Ron Shell will tell you the worst audition in the history of mankind is my audition for Bull Durham and he said it's the worst audition I've ever seen hire him immediately why was it so bad I went in there was no part there was no part it was written like three lines pitching the coach. pitching coach right. and I spoke to Bruno Kirby May the great late great great Bruno Kirby and I said Bruno I ain't got a, a hook on this guy at all it's only got three lines and Bruno says well if he's the pitching coach and you got the manager of the team if my th- thinking is, if the manager goes up through the ranks, they take their pitching coach with them. So I said, got it. I'm a yes man. That's all I need to know. So then it became a yes man. So he would say, in the script, it might say, what do we got today? He goes, uh, it'd say something like, okay, we're going to put the, we're going to put Lelouch in. And I would say, I'm good with that. And then it would say, you're going to put Lelouch in. I go, I'm good with that. He's the man. He's the man. He's the humbaby, humbaby. So I just start going crazy. And I start doing all this baseball jive that my dad had taught me because he was an athlete. And I was all over the place. And he said, hire him immediately. And he, I get to do the movie, which is a great piece of work. And I get to ad lib the line that, you know, lives on, the candlesticks line, which lives on forever. Mm-hmm. And Ron keeps it in the movie. Uh, and that helped. And then from that, Tim Burton, Marion Dougherty, the casting director, who was always a supporter of mine, she had had me come into audition for GARP. 
at the time and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And then she had me meet Tim Burton for Batman. And that changes things, you know, because Batman's a whole, you know, at the time it's the biggest movie ever made and it was a whole lot of fun. And I was old enough to appreciate that at the time. I'm in my, th- I'm in my, how old was I in Batman? I was 36, 37 then. So I get to appreciate that. Nice run. Yeah, that was a good run. And then that leads, then I direct my own movie and then Arliss happens. Open season. Yeah, then yeah. Arliss happens yeah. though, right after that. Yeah. We wanted to ask Gilbert, and I always talk about character actors on the show, and we wanted to ask you not only about Bruno, but about J.T. Walsh. Great. Everybody's Good Morning everybody, Vietnam. We've lost everybody from Good Morning Vietnam. Not much left. Yeah. Robin's gone. J.T. Walsh is gone. Well, Forrest Whitaker's uh, around. Forrest yeah. and Richard Port now. Right. Uh, we lost Noble Willingham, who played the, uh, the colonel. He's funny. Who was great. Great. We, we laughed a lot, the two of us. Uh, no, it was the, you, you, Bruno, you're talking about the maitre d' of life. He was like, can I catch you something? Can I hand you something? Please, can I? He was, like, <laughs> it was the maitre d' of life. I adored Bruno Crazy. What was great is when I turned 50, I had a birthday party. And I invited Bruno to the, to the dinner. And Bruno didn't put up with any bullshit. Bruno yeah. would tell it like this. And I had a friend named Rod Lurie who was a film critic at the time at a radio show, later became a filmmaker. He directed movies like uh, The Contender, not The, the Contender, and he did, uh, what else did he do? He did, uh, did a bunch of, good, a couple of good movies. Uh, but, so Rod comes in and meets Bruno, and he goes, uh, I go, Bruno Kirby, Rod Lurie, and Rod, Rod, Rod says, I am such a fan of yours. And Bruno goes, really? Well, you ripped me to shreds in the show. And he just calls him on a right to his face. <laughs> and I lose it right there. I bust up laughing so hard. He just busted him right there in there. So that was great. Yeah, Bruno was special. Bruno was special. People don't know he was a showbiz kid, that his father, Bruce yeah, Kirby, yeah, he's a character yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah, Bruno he grew up in the business. Bruno was very special. And uh, Michael Keaton. Keaton's great. Ke- yeah. Well, Keaton I first met because he was doing comedy. Yes. Michael was a stand-up comic. And I'll see him next week. Uh, and Michael Keaton might be my favorite actor. I mean, I, when I when I heard, I remember the whole Batman thing back then. You have to understand, when it was announced that Michael Keaton was going to be Batman, there was outrage. Oh yes, it was. Here's yeah. this comic yeah. who done Mr. Mom. Sure. And I knew Michael, and I had seen. I don't know if you ever saw a movie he did when he's the junkie, clean uh, and sober. He's great in yeah. this movie. Michael yeah. had a dark hand. I knew my, Michael's a Pittsburgh kid with a dark side. And if you look at Beetlejuice, how brilliant he is in Beetlejuice. And how Michael Keaton, like I said, might be my favorite actor. And I knew, but the outrage of Michael Keaton was unbelievable. I, then I once asked, uh, if you hadn't gotten Michael Keaton, who were you going to go for? And they said, Steve Martin. I mean, this oh, is, my <laughs> God. This is true. This is, wow. This is how Peter Goober and, and John Peters thought. So And per, Tim Burton... You know, was you know he was the anchor here, you know, because he you know, and then the Jack thing happened, which was the, the greatest thing in the world was Jack, and uh, but it was great fun, great great. I used to call them the comic book fundamentalists, My, Michael Keaton. Oh really? Yeah, the people the, the people that were screaming about his his casting. Oh yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. Ben Affleck's nothing compared to Michael Keaton becoming Batman. Yeah, but he pulled it off. Oh, Michael's a good actor. Michael's. Have you seen Spotlight? Not yet. Good movie. But I love Birdman. Birdman, he's great. Birdman, he's great. Got to ask you about some of those other people in, in, uh, in Bull Durham, too. An actor who died too young, a wonderful character actor, Trey, Trey Wilson. Trey was a great guy. Who, had, who, was, who was burning bright. I mean, he's, he's in uh, Raising Arizona. He's in Raising he's Arizona. Arizona, and he's wonderful. And he was in, uh, uh, he's in Bull Durham as the manager. Right. He was in the middle of shooting Great Balls of Fire. He's Sam Phillips. And, right. he, and, and he was on his way to the airport to play Miller in oh, Miller's, yeah, Miller's Crossing, Crossing and they, because the Cone brothers loved right, him. Right. And, they and he, he has an aneurysm and he dies. Yeah. yeah. Terrible yeah. boss. Terrific, terrible. funny actor. Great guy. 
uh, we became friends. Great guy. He also was a Houston guy. We had been taught by the same uh, teacher down in Houston, a guy named Cecil Pickett. And... Um, Great guy, you know this actor Gilbert. He's the he's the he's the uh, the furniture king, Nathan Arizona. Nathan Arizona. Oh, Nick, yeah. Nicholas Cage steals the baby. Oh yes, and he's just wonderful. Yeah, and and you were saying that you were listening to this podcast, and when I recommended after the fox, after the fox, after the fox is a, an underrated great comic movie. Yeah. It is. I was telling Gilbert that when it first came out, there was a theater, the Blue Star Cinema, opened up in Watchung, New Jersey, opened up. And that was the first movie they showed. So as a promotion, they had this single of After the Fox, the Burt Backrack, Hal David single. And if you won a lottery, answer the question. And I won. Yeah. And I never picked up the single. And to this day, my brother, if you call him up today, he'll say, you know, Blue Star Cinema is still waiting for you to pick up that record of After the Fox. <laughs> After, but the interesting thing about After the Fox is I spoke to Neil Simon about this. It's his first screenplay. Yeah. It was for free. He hadn't had the success yet. And number one about it is... He said, because it's a brilliant screenplay, you know, it's a satire on movie making, yeah. it's a satire on Italian cinema, it's also a satire on caper movies, it's also a, a thing about a guy with his mother and his sister, oh, yeah. this, this thief, the fox, and then, it's, so it's all these things, and it's a high, and it's brilliant, and the casting is brilliant, and however, he said something interesting to me, he said, to seek a directing it, he said, never let anyone who doesn't speak your language direct comedy. He said, because the seeker didn't know where the jokes were at all. Oh. He had no idea, and he would keep turning to sellers and asking him, is this funny? And sellers would say yes. He had no idea. Is it true they didn't get along, the Sika and sellers? I can't imagine yeah. sellers getting along with anybody. Yeah. I mean, who, yeah. who did sellers yeah. get along with? I yeah. heard Kubrick. I That's heard, the only one he got right, along Kubrick. with was Kubrick. Right. Originally, and a little, little bit on and off with Blake Edwards. Yeah, yeah. I heard well. originally sellers really wanted the Sika and then he hated. I would believe that. Yeah. I absolutely would he believe hated that. Him. Well, you got to remember, it's, a, it's also a takeoff on Big Deal on Madonna Street. Oh right. yeah, you know, right. because to seek a director of the right. comedy. So right. that's a it, good it, comedy. It made, yeah, it, it, so it made sense. But the I, and I on the casting is Jack Kim Tamiroff and Martin Balsam. But I got to meet Victor Mature at a golf tournament, <laughs> and us. I asked him about. Uh, after the Fox, and he loved it because he's that's the most underappreciated, possibly comic performance supporting because he's doing a send up of himself, a send up of all those guys, and he is great. And Victor Mature was a funny guy to begin with when he was. Um, he told the story about joining the country club. I'm the actor, oh, yes. and I got 50 movies to back me up. Uh, Victor Mature was <laughs> and funny. I think of funny. I think of him in dramas like My Darling Clementine. I don't. Yeah, think of him, and and Demetrius and the Gladiators. Yeah, I don't think or of him every movie where he's a, got a boxing kangaroo. Right. Yeah. He's always got those movies uh, of Betty Grable where there's a boxing kangaroo somewhere. Yeah, he does he, show up in the monkey. He was movie. 4F. He was a 4F. Oh, that's yeah. right. He's in Head. Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah, and there he plays in Wanton Tommy's in too. Tony Powell. Tony Powell. Yeah. Tony Powell. Gina Romantica. Gina Romantica is this. And Gilbert, I think you saw it once, and yet you memorized oh, the theme song. Oh, yes. Yeah. Da ding, ding, da ding, ding, da ding, ding, da ding, ding. Who is the fox? I am the fox. Who are you? I am me. Who is me? Me is a thief. You give your poor, poor mother grief. So after the fox... After the fox, into the hunt with chains and locks. Oh, after the fox, after the fox, somebody's always chasing. After the fox, nicely done. Yeah. Oh, where is the gold? 
Uh, it's in the truck. Where is the truck? I won't tell. We'll make you tell. Then I will lie. You'll you make your poor, poor monster cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrific movie. I, at one point, I read somebody was going to remake it, but because it's very funny. I mean, it, it's but like it was interesting because I talked with Simon about it. He goes, "Don't ever let a person." And it's a good room of thought. Don't let someone else speak your language. Direct comedy. Do you know? It makes sense. Seems like a winning idea. A yeah. Hollywood now, movie, yeah. a production covering a, th- a heist. Now, um, now that song was, of course, Burt Bacharach. Right. Right. You you said you had uh, a Bacharach story. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I have a dear friend, Steve Tyrell, who plays up the Crawford Carlisle. He's done a. He was. A, he's. he's uh, yeah, does heard a, him on your podcast. Right. Exactly. Well, Steve. Steve, in the 60s, was a young kid right out of Texas. He's like 18, 19, 20. And he gets a job working for, I think her name was Francis Greenberg, who ran uh, one of the big record labels up here. And so he got to work in the Brill Building uh, and, and the other one next door, 1350, whatever it is, with Carol King and all them. And he said, you know, it was, uh, you know, Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel, Backrack and David. And he said, in the 60s, the two big songwriters that everybody wanted the next song for. It was two songwriters. One was Burt Backrack and the other's Bob Dylan. Everybody wanted the next Dylan song or they wanted the next Backrack song. So Backrack figures, I'm going to top them all. I'm going to get Bob Dylan to sing one of my songs. So he writes a song for Bob Dylan. And <laughs> true story. And the song is called Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And it's, if you listen to it, it's crying's not for me. Nothing seems to oh, fit. wow. It's written for Bob Dylan. So he sends it to Dylan. Dylan doesn't respond to it at all. So now they've got to record this song because it's in Butch Cassidy and the right. Sundance Kid. They have to have it. And everybody's turning down this song. Everybody. Finally, uh, Steve Tyrell says, hey, you know my old buddy from Texas, B.J. Thomas, just had a hit with Hooked on a Feeling. So they said, okay, he's had a hit. We'll go with B.J. Thomas. So B.J. Thomas flies out to California. And the night before they're going to record it for the movie, he gets hammered. Really shit-faced. <laughs> Really. And so he comes out the next day, and he sings it, and Backrack is furious at his voice. He says, this is awful, but you're coming back to record the single. And he listens, because the single, the version in, in the movie is not the single version. And, he, and so it's different. So he does this. Now, nobody wants to release the song. They can't get the song released. Uh, uh, B.J. Thomas's manager wants it to be the B-side of the single. And, they, so, and then they said, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. And Terrell said, it's the only time I came close to payola. I told one of the guys who was controlled the market saying, if this isn't a hit, I'll give you 10 grand. So he put it on. Of course, it becomes this huge hit. Okay. Now comes Oscar time. It's nominated for the Oscar. Yeah. B.J. Thomas is nominated to sing it at the Oscars. So he brings Tyrell with him because he doesn't know anybody else. So they're going to the Oscars. These two guys were so out of this world, it's incredible. So they show up at the Oscars, which happens to be the one year. It's the year that Liz Taylor has decided to come back after not being there for like 10 years. So she's wearing the <laughs> low-cut <laughs> cleavage dress, and she's got she's got the, uh, the, the, the Hope Diamond that, that Richard Burton had given her yeah. on, on her hand. They go to the party, the governor's ball, they win the Oscar. They go to the party, the only person they know there is Dennis Hopper, because it's easy rider time. So they see riders of a bunch yeah. of good. So they go to him, and they're sitting there. Liz walks in. Dennis Hopper gets on top of the table and goes, Liz, Liz. <laughs> and he said, get over here, because she had played his mother in Giant. So she goes, comes over there, and Liz goes, Dennis! She goes over there, and he goes, Liz. And he sees the, the rock uh, on her figure. He goes, Liz, is that rock real? She goes, yeah, and the tits are too. <laughs> <laughs> 
He said, Liz, it was abroad. People love Liz Taylor. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my mind around Bacharach writing a song for Bob Dylan. But doesn't it make that's perfect wild. sense? I never, yeah. When you, you hear nothing, hey, it's fit. not to me. Nothing seems to fit. I'm only thinking about them. <laughs> brings to mind your old bit about Dylan and Floyd oh, the Barber. Oh, yeah. Floyd the Barber. You, and... and uh, which I still do. You're still with, doing with, that in the act? Yeah, yeah. With me, <laughs> an old bit. <laughs> sure, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. The, uh, now, we talk about, wait, wait, when we get to movies, by the way, we talk about After the Fox. The other one, I don't know if you've ever discussed this movie. I'm sure you have. Yeah. We talked about westerns, right? Yeah. Where do you stand on what I think might be the most underappreciated comedy of all time, Cat Baloo? Oh, I like that oh, picture. Yeah. Cat Baloo yeah. is funny. Yeah, Lee Marvin was funny. The whole movie's funny. Yeah. I once ran to Jane Fonda at an event, and we talked about... Uh, I asked her about, I saw some, like Sunday, she goes, all these shitty comedies she made, like Sunday in New York or any Wednesday or whatever else. She, she was in all those like uh, 60s sex comedy. Yeah. And she goes, and they were all shitty and I was in every one of them. And, goes, and I go, yeah, but you're in one good one. She goes, Cat Baloo. Yeah. Cat Baloo. You remember, he's got nominated for Best Screenplay, yeah. too. Yeah. Cat Baloo got Best Song nomination uh, with Stubby K and Matt uh, oh, King yes, Cole. Right. Yeah. Remember, Stubby there's K. something about Mary totally ripped off Cat Baloo with the guy singing the songs oh, all the yes, time. Yes. That's the total, that's oh, a total yeah. homage to Cat Baloo. Cat Baloo is so smart and funny. It is uh, one, got one of the great lines of all time. I used to show it at the writer's room yeah. at, at uh, Arliss where Lee Marvin goes into this speech and he's drunker than, drunker than hell. And he goes into this whole thing about, we used to, you know, he, he takes a hit he finally like goes into like sense memory for something he talks about we used to be a brand of brand of men in the old days we used to take uh, two shows on Saturday three on Sunday not a person didn't tip his cap not a woman didn't come by and say hey kid how's it going we did all this stuff two shows Saturday three shows Sunday bing 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 and he starts shooting everything and then suddenly he goes and then, <laughs> then it hits him and he goes whoa what happened and one of somebody says I ain't never seen a man get through a day so fast. It was like this, <laughs> this amazing line coming out of nowhere. I it's haven't a, seen it in years. It's we really talk, funny. We should talk about it on the show. It's it, re- my wife hates it, so you know it's funny. Another. <laughs> <laughs> she, don't, she don't know fucking I, comedy. I, I remember, oh, we were also talking a uh, uh, favorite film of all of ours. And and that's to be or to not be or not to be, be. the oh, Lucas yeah. version. The oh Lubitsch. yeah, oh yeah, not yes. the Mel Brooks. Version. No, no, yeah. no, no. The difference between the Mel Brooks to be or not to be and the Lubitsch is the difference between Hamlet and highlights from Hamlet. Right. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's no, to be or not to be. To be or not to be is a pretty perfect film. It's wonderful. For me. Uh, there's a couple of them I put in that category for just my own taste. To be or not to be um, is a great film. I tell you, I'm a big fan of Charade. I think Charade... Oh, we've talked about that oh, one on yeah. the show. Charade is a pretty great movie. And he's movie. still with us, Stanley Donnan. Yeah. He's well, in his well, 90s. Stanley Donnan, if you think about it, to, for my mind, he's probably directed two of my top ten movies of all time. He directed uh, Singing in the Rain. Right. Yeah, Singing in the Rain, great. which is a much better movie than An American in Paris. Singing in the Rain yeah, might an be... An American in Paris won the Oscar. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah but yeah. Singing in the Rain might be... You know the whole backstory of Singing in the Rain? Uh, Arthur Freed, who ran the MGM musical, you know, he ran all the musicals. Well, he was a songwriter, and he owned all the so he had written all the songs, you know, "Singing in the Rain" and "You Are My Lucky Star" and you know all that stuff. So he says, "Listen, I got all, all these songs are coming off of the Oscar," and he says, he "Went to Comden and Green, I think it was, and said, go write a movie and use these songs. I don't care how you do it." And use these songs, and that's what they did. They had all these songs, and they I had didn't a, know that. That's and great. they had to write a movie. And they write "Singing in the Rain," which I would argue, along with "Sunset Boulevard," is probably the two best movies ever about Hollywood. Is "Singing in the Rain" and, and "Sunset Boulevard." Um, but what's interesting is a great story I heard also on it is that Arthur Freed, 
they're watching the rushes from the movie, and they realize with Donald O'Connor they had a home run here, but they didn't have a song for him. They didn't have a single for him. So he tells uh, whoever it is, Comden and Green, he goes, go write a song for him. Uh, they go, what kind of song? They go, you know like uh, uh, Cole Porter's Be a Clown? They go, go write a song oh, like that. Oh, wow, yeah. So they write, make them laugh, which is a total ripoff of this. <laughs> one, one, one is be a clown, be a clown. All the world, da, 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 is a clown. And so they write, make them laugh, make them laugh. <laughs> it's pretty damn da, close. Da, it, <laughs> yeah. Cole Porter visits the set. Right. Arthur Free says, you got to see what I'm doing here. Oh, you got to see what I'm doing. And they're doing make them laugh. And they said that, you know, so Cole Porter's watching this, and he doesn't, and Free doesn't get it. He doesn't get yeah. it. And, he, and Cole Porter said, he, would you excuse me? I'm not feeling really well right now. And he goes, but they totally ripped off for you to, you know, make them laugh. But that's how Singing in the Rain came about. It was totally just a bunch that of is, songs. That is good stuff. Actually, that's how American in Paris started. People think American in Paris, Gershwin wrote. He didn't write that. You know, American in Paris was written in 1952 because Gene Kelly said, you know, Let's put together a bunch of Gershwin songs. We'll have a GI in Paris after the war. Well, Gershwin died in 1938. He never didn't know any about that. He wrote American in Paris, which was a 10-minute, you know, uh, concerto. You know, and then they just made this movie out of American in Paris. It wasn't an original. It wasn't an original thing like that. It it was like uh, musical. They just put it all together. We want to ask you more stuff about movies, but as long as you brought up Lee Marvin, Gil, tell uh, tell Robert that Lee Marvin story. Oh, there was uh, so so good. Roger Ebert said that one time he was sent to interview Lee Marvin. Oh, boy. And Lee Marvin is sitting by the pool in a, like a beat-up bathrobe, smoking a cigarette and sipping on a scotch. <laughs> and while and he's got his little dog, you know, like a chihuahua jumping around. And, and his wife comes home, and she was out of town for a while. And she says hello to everybody. And she looks down at the little dog, and the little dog has something in its mouth. So she goes, oh, what's that in your mouth? And she takes it out, and she goes, "Uh, it's a pair of women's underwear. And she holds it up. She goes, these aren't mine. And Lee Marvin looks down at the chihuahua and goes, bad dog. (laughs) (laughs) I love Lee Marvin. I thought Lee Marvin was great. You've seen Prime Cut. Yeah, great with movie. Hackman. Yeah, yeah. no, it's yeah, a, just it's a, saw it recently. Yeah, no. so great. And and I've talked about it on the show Point Blank. Point Blank is a John Borman film. Yeah, yeah, that's a good film. That's Reagan's last film, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, Reagan's. Lovely Marvin. Which we, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about sports movies? You want to talk uh, about Abbott and Costello and love Abbott and Costello? We talked about Abbott and Costello. I loved Abbott. Abbott and, and Costello meet Frankenstein. Pretty great movie. Yeah, yeah. Pretty great movie. And we were talking both about. What an underrated state, uh, uh, an underrated straight man. But Abbott. But Abbott. Yeah, but Abbott. He was yeah, we've talked about great. it. Great. Yeah. And we talked about Dean Martin. Yeah. Dean Martin being another great. Yeah, tell. Well, I yeah. was once with Shirley MacLaine, and she said, best comic actor I ever worked with was Dean Martin. Hand down. Had better than, you know, as good as Lemon is, as good as Sinatra was, as good as all these guys are. He goes, Dean Martin. Dean Martin could do anything. You know, it's an interesting question. Here's one. Uh, I was with Nicholson we, we, uh, one time, and I said, who do you think. In the history of Hollywood, for well, this is 1990. Who do you think is the most pound for pound had the more chops and talent than anybody in Hollywood? And it was because I asked Richard Dreyfuss the same question, and all three of us came up with the same answer. For just pure talent, yeah. who mean, could do you, anything. You mean like Sammy, like all kinds of talent? Yes, like I mean, but, but yeah. as far as Hollywood, who could do anything, act, you know, do anything, and, and act in different types of movies and pull it off. And we all both came up with, all three of us came up with the same answer. Boy, got to think about that. It was interesting. 
Now, when I, this is before Meryl Streep, mind you, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, is it a man? Yeah. He died recently. Oh. I'm stumped. Mickey Rooney. All three Mickey of us. Mickey Rooney. See, all three of us came up with the Mickey same answer. Mickey Rooney. Uh, I, I, was, I was thinking of that because uh, they one time said to Sammy Davis Jr., they said, everyone says you're the greatest entertainer in the world. And Sammy Davis Jr. said, I'm not. Mickey Rooney Mickey is. Rooney. Mickey Rooney, when you stop and think, okay, you know he can sing and dance. Okay, and he was in the our gang. He started in. Oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. there's also. But then you think about Requiem for a Heavyweight. Oh yeah. Oh great. And you think about the Black Stallion. And did you ever see him do the comic that thing for Playhouse ninety when oh, he is yeah. a? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but he could he could make you laugh. You know, Boys Town. He can make you cry. He's Andy Hardy and everything. Plus, which it goes. It was funny because a lot of the intelligentsia will say, "Well, he had Judy Garland." And it's like bullshit. He had to keep Julia, Judy Garland away. <laughs> to carry her. She's so drugged out. Mickey carried her totally. Do you know? Uh, you know, but it was interesting. All three of us came up with Mickey Rooney. Yeah, he's no slouch Sa- in comedy. Sammy Davis. No, he's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and now we're not going to talk about Breakfast at Tiffany's. We'll, leave, but, we'll forgive him that. But that's not his fault. That's a piece of casting, right, you know? Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, I remember. But look Sam- how funny he is in Mad Mad World. This oh, thing with him and Hackett. Hilarious. Him and Hackett together are just, with you know. Jim Backus. Yeah. 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 Now, I heard a story about Mickey Rooney. Get <laughs> that he used to have a thing Uh-oh. that he would get together and they and the whole group would go, oh, Mickey's going to do it. Come on. And so allegedly, according to this story, Mickey Rooney would go to the payphone, call his wife up. And while he was talking to his wife and telling her how much he loved her, he'd be fucking or getting blown by a chorus girl in front of everybody. I, 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 I would be like... I, I, you know, bloody. when I read the biography of Mickey Rooney, I don't put it past him. He goes, uh, you know, he was a notorious... You know, he's Ava Gardner's first wife. Oh, for, yeah. First husband. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's also a huge gambler with, you know, with betting. Yeah. And, and he, was, he was fucking everybody. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see that beyond the realm yeah, of possibilities. Yeah. Isn't there a new book? I think there's an, there's a, there's there's something. Uh, Have you read the Bob Hope book or the John Wayne biography? Either no, I haven't read, both read either. They're yeah. both great. Different, different, but great. I know oh, the Hope you... book is heavy on his uh, philandering. Yeah, but it just yeah. it's you find out it's a mixed bag because you find out the, you know the megalomaniac, you know the cold guy that he is, but you do get respect the fact that you know at one time he's the number one box office TV movie at the same time. It's Crosby's the other one, but. Um, he, you know, he had the number one radio show, TV show, and and and, and movies. He was number one in all three at the same time. Uh, and you get and the work, and of course the writer again, constantly. Uh, and of course he starts the tours. You know, he starts the overseas tours and everything. Basically, deserves credit for that. I mean, so there's a lot to. I- and he has this great penmanship, amazing penmanship, and he would write everybody a handwritten letter. At least they think so. And and I, but but I, it wasn't it also famous that. Every one of the starlets he'd take on those tours, he'd fuck. Probably, yeah. yeah. Marilyn Maxwell was his main squeeze. Yeah, yeah, that was his main squeeze. He took with her for for years. He was always with her, Marilyn Maxwell. Oh. But not all the stars. I, I, he got to an age. He went to the end. Marco wasn't going to fuck him. Yeah, you know, so, or Angelino. <laughs> so Brookfield. you're saying, bro- yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, or Angelian. Yeah. yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Now, you you told a great story about the great director uh, John Ford. 
Well, that's a true. That's a, that's another story because that was about the blacklist, uh, the ferry fix. Because there's a movie Trumbo out, which is worth seeing. But um, the famous thing was like during the blacklist in Hollywood, down well during the times of the House on American Activities Committee in the late '40s, there was a very famous meeting at the uh, Directors Guild uh, because at that time you were going through all this blacklist stuff and they wanted people because of the Cold War and everything. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille, the very conservative, very right-wing guy, wanted everybody to sign a loyalty oath. This, you know, loyalty oath. And Frank Mankiewicz, or Joseph Mankiewicz, decided, no, no, we shouldn't have to do this. So there was these two camps. So they had this very famous meeting. Tennis was mandatory, so it was packed. And Cecil B. DeMille says, who doesn't want to... There's a petition against you. He goes, whose name is on this petition? Let's look at the names. Fred Zinnemann, William Weiler, Billy Wilder. And he goes through everyone with these Yiddish accents. And he's making his point real strong. And he goes, he goes these are the people who don't sign the loyalty oath. And, he, and so I say we bring it to a vote. Hand goes up in the back. And we recognize the man in the back. The little guy stands up and goes, my name's John Jack Ford. I make westerns. That's how he introduced himself. And he says, CB, you know more about making movies than anybody here in this room. You know more about putting asses in seats than anybody else in this room. But I don't like what I'm hearing from you, CB, and I think we go with Mankiewicz. Now, it makes this so, and he carried it over, what makes it so strange is that John Ford was about as conservative right-wing as you can get. And Ward Bond, who's the biggest prick that ever lived, one of the great anti-Semites of all time, he actually uh, uh, hit, I'll tell you a story about him slugging uh, Martin Landau, told me. Oh, wow. Yeah, New York Jew actor came out to do uh, a wagon train. So the New York Jew actor, he said, you know, at one time he had a swing, he was supposed to miss him. And he cold cocks him. And he went Landau, and the director goes, oh, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I, I, I thought I missed you. And so the director said, oh, let's, oh, that's fine, can we do one more? And Landau said, fuck you, I'm not doing one more. But that he said, you know, Ward Bond. But so Ward Bond and Victor McLaughlin, were huge right-wingers, as was John Ford. But the difference between Ford and John Wayne was that they were right-wingers, but they weren't zealots like 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 uh, Bond and them. Right. F- Wayne in his biography is, is a total conservative, but it, like he got along great with Catherine Hepburn. He got along great with Geraldine Page. He liked it if you had a position, if you stood up for it. He respected that. He even in the movie Trumbo now, where he's really right-wing. Edward G. Robinson comes and does his thing, and he tells Hedda Hopper, who's, you know, fucking crazy, that, you know, I just made a deal with the guy. And she goes, well, we're not going to let him do it. He goes, I just made a deal with the guy. And uh, Edward G. Robinson, actually, was, who was on the blacklist slash pink list, doesn't work for a while. Right, big and lefty. What, right, and what, yeah. gets, what gets him up off of it is Cecil B. DeMille. Because Cecil B. DeMille has to cast him as Dathan the Jew in <laughs> the Ten Commandments. Where's your Moses now? You know, yeah, yes. that's that. Everybody said, well, if, if CB is hiring him, he's obviously okay. You know, so that got him off of the that got him off the blacklist. Really, was was Cecil B. DeMille in the Ten Commandments? And and with the blacklist, it was. Still- and then Jen Spader comes along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was still. World War II was still considered, like, by a lot of people, oh, yeah. the, the Ju- Jews' the, the war. Jews' war, yeah, the Jewish war. And a lot of people had lost their families, and so they still, in spite of everything else, still considered the Jewish war. You know, uh, Billy Wilder told, there was a great story about him doing, uh, when he directed uh, Spirit of St. Louis, not one of his better movies, no. yeah. but, uh, and he had to direct, you know, it was a story of Lindbergh, and Lindbergh is this huge anti-Semite, <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're a big Nazi lover, and so Wilder said, oh, I'll direct the picture anyway, but he, he had a, he said, Lindbergh was completely a, a cold, he had a scene that he wanted to do, uh, he talked about Wilder, uh, that there was going to be, a, the night before the flight, he's in a bar, 
and he sees a girl with long blonde hair. And, uh, you know, and he sees her and they talk that night and whatever happens, the next morning he wakes up and he says he's getting ready to get dressed and he looks back on the bed and on the pillow there's a long blonde hair. He wanted to have one long blonde hair on the pillow. And Glenbrook said, no way, no way. He wouldn't allow anything like that. He just wasn't going to allow that kind of stuff. Um, I told you the funny story that Wilder had. Oh, yes. He was talking about the – I saw Wilder talk one time, and he talked about the blacklist and the unfriendly 10. And he said, but the thing to remember here is only two of them were talented. The other eight were just unfriendly. (laughs) (laughs) Great line. That's a great line. We had Ed Asner on the show. Remember, Great. and he told us about Ward Bond. Do you remember this? Ward he told Bond. us about oh, Ward yeah. Bond. Click. I can't remember the name of the actress. I'll go back and dig it out for you. A, a woman, an actress who had a promising career, a New York actress, and Ward Bond really did damage. It might have been Lee Remick. To her career. It wasn't Lee Remick. It wasn't a name we knew. Yeah. But I'll dig it out for yeah. you. It's interesting I, you know, Ward history. Bond was I the know, biggest prick of them all. And Ward Bond was one of those people who was turning everybody in as a communist. Yeah, yeah. And you had to get past Ward Bond. I yeah. Mean, and, and, and Wayne and Ford said, you know, fuck Ward Bond. You know, that was her best friend. Yeah. And it was fuck Ward Bond. You know, they, they were, it was a, it's a bad time period. I mean, what are you going to do? I had a friend, interesting story. I, always thought, I had a friend who was an agent. And he represented two sons of the period. He, he represented the son of a writer who was blacklisted. And he, rep, in fact, it was Nick Kazan and Trumbo's kid. So one was a son of a blacklisted writer, and the other was a son of a writer who was blacklisted. And each one hated the father for what they did. It's an interesting two-handed play, I always thought. I always thought that was because each one, one said, why did you destroy the family? To help people that you know to, to hide people who were already outed and everything else, and the other one said, so "How could you turn people in?" Do you know, so each one, you know, uh, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a horrible you know situation right there. And and I remember somebody one time asked Paul Newman, who was a you know major liberal. Yeah. Uh, they said to him. He came later, but came. yeah, they yeah, they, but they said to him like about I I think maybe it was Ilya Kazan they were asking him about or something. And Paul Newman said, it's very easy now to say what you would have done Absolutely. back then. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would have ratted you out in a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. And you would have been so fast gone. You were the first one. And then I mentioned Gilbert Gottfried. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee J. Cobb. Uh, who right. else? Right. Michael Moore. Did I mention Gilbert Gottfried? Tom and Gore. Yeah. Did, I, did I mention Paul, Gilbert Gottfried? Paul Robeson, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> I liked your Orson Welles line about Ford, too. Um, oh, best, yeah, yeah. That's a true directors. story. Three best directors. John Ford, John Ford, John Ford. <laughs> you want to talk, before we, we get you out of here, because it's 120 degrees, you want to talk about A&C, you want to talk about uh, Cobb, what's about A&C? Abbott and Costello, oh, you well. want to talk about baseball movies, about... about oh, well, the, you worked with Paul Newman. And you worked with Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah well, place. I didn't really work with him. I, I, I rehearsed with him, and I actually had dinner at his house. Paul was a really nice guy. Now, Paul was one of these method guys, but... Here's the thing about Paul. He told the worst jokes in the world. <laughs> the absolute worst jokes in the world. He was like a frat boy when it came to pranks. Yeah. His idea of a prank was, you know, it's like he loved practical jokes, but his idea of practical jokes was like, uh, uh, let's, t- t- uh, let's throw a ton of manure in somebody's car. That's his idea. Hey, yeah. You know, it's like frat boy type yeah. of shit. So that's what he did. But his, this was his favorite joke. I remember him telling this joke. Because I talked about, I once did a thing with Redford, and I said, boy, he told bad jokes. And he goes, boy, did he ever. <laughs> and... I said, this was Paul Newman's favorite joke. Three people are talking about the greatest invention of all time. And the first one says, uh, uh, the 
first one says, uh, well, that would have to be the telegraph because uh, you can do the telephone because you can reach people all around the world and everything. And the guy goes, no, no, no. He goes, what about you? He goes, no, it would have to be the airplane because then you can mm-hmm. you know, fly around the world to go anywhere. The other one goes, no, 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 no. The third one goes, no, that would have to be the thermos. And he goes, the thermos? He goes, yeah, it's a thermos. And he says, because it keeps things hot and it keeps things cold. And he said, he goes, well, what's crazy about that? And the guy says, but how do it know? <laughs> and that was Paul that was Paul Newman's out. favorite joke. Oh, geez. okay. So this gives you an idea. <laughs> Good guy, though. I mean, he would drive Ron. He would drive Ron Shelton crazy because he was one of these method actors who um, who would take something on the page and then try fifty different ways to try something else and eventually come back to what's on the page. But it drove Ron crazy. Now to. His credit, he turned down. It was a movie called Blaze, which was about Blaze Star, it's the a good stripper. Movie. I like that movie. And uh, he turned down. It was going to be cast by an actress uh, named Nancy Travis, and Paul Newman rejected her because he had casting approval. So he turns her down, and they wind up going with this girl who auditions for a tape in uh, Canada, Lolita Davidovich, who plays the part. Eventually, to this day, is Ron's wife. So it's like, so because of Paul Newman, indirectly, indirectly, he's responsible. I also should mention that Haskell Wexler, who died yesterday, the day before, and I loved working with Ron, hated him. Uh, And he could be difficult, but I loved him. Uh, Medium cool. Yeah, well, he, uh, Haskell did, you know, in the heat of the night, he did, you know, in cold blood. He was a great Mm -hmm. cinematographer, just great. But that was somebody else in the movie. And De Niro, what was it like working with him? It was great. You didn't expect, he hadn't done much comedy yet. So the only time I had seen him do comedy was in Brazil. And he was funny in Brazil. And he did these big takes. And when I did it, I realized he knows how to mug really well. In fact, when I told Billy Crystal when he was doing Analyze This, I said, get ready for some really good mugging. He goes, I was surprised how, how much he mugged, but how, but how good it was. Yeah. And so, he was. listen, that movie, I, I was going to work every day. It was Tribeca's first film. Mistress, we, yeah. we should and, remind and Mistress, our listeners. Yeah. And I play this would-be filmmaker. Independent filmmaker and Martin Lando plays this down on his luck producer, and he's got a script and he's going to raise the money. But each of the guys that want to put up the money want their mistress to play the lead in the movie, and uh, it's a pretty damn good movie. In fact, the one I get stopped for by by film students, Alexander Payne and, and all film students, they want to talk about mistress because that's their lives. Uh, unfortunately, we came out to s- about a month after the player which also dealt with Hollywood, and which I think is, well, it's just my own thing. It's, it's, it is what it is, but it's such an overrated movie. It has to be this murder <laughs> mystery. I mean, you really believe Lyle Lovett and, 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 uh, and Swoopy Goldberg are cops in them? Please. You know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's good because of the frou-frou in the opening, in the opening shot, which is kind of cool, but it's not a very good movie. Um, and actors played themselves, so it had this frou-frou stuff. Oh, yeah. But the movie itself isn't that good. But in Mistress... I'm working every day. It's, it's Tribeca's first film. De Niro's got to approve me. And I'm working every day with Martin Landau, Danny Le- Aiello, who was terrific in the movie. He got scenes that got cut out that people didn't see that I saw that were just brilliant. I love his tantrum at the yeah. end. Well, he, yeah. he had a whole – he had a monologue that got cut that was brilliant. Yeah, uh, Eli Wallach. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken is in the movie. Uh, who am I leaving out? And then the women, Gene Smart, yeah. Cheryl Lee Ralph, uh, a girl named – Oh, what was her name? I can't think of her name. But I mean, just every the day. The kid who plays the young writer is fun. Jace Alexander. Yeah. Jace, yeah. Uh, who became a TV director. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a dark movie. It's very dark. Oh, and Laurie Metcalf plays my Laurie wife. Laurie Metcalf. Uh, and I mean, every day I'm going to work with a great actor. And Barry Primus, who wrote and directed. People think I wrote and directed it. I didn't. It's Barry Primus, and it's basically his life. And um, 
uh, he made that's the best thing I ever did from an acting point of view. I'm sure, without a doubt, in my opinion. Uh, that that one. I Does he have to kill himself? Can he just leave town? Yeah, he's Spielberg's Spielberg's nephew or somebody like yeah. that. Or yeah. He's studying with the same teachers. He's studying with the same teacher. That's what. Yeah, it was. that's a fun <laughs> yeah. movie, Mistress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that's 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 one I can actually watch a little bit of. Because I don't like to watch most of the movies. Cobb, I can. I, I, Cobb is one I can watch, but only for. I, I think back to other things. You know, Cobb is a very dark movie. Did Ty Cobb really beat the hell out of a guy? Yes. Who had no hands, Absolutely. or he had two fingers. Absolutely, he was yeah. quadriplegic. Yeah, quadriplegic. He had yeah. no arms and had legs. And by the way, whenever I hear about this Hall of Fame crap, uh, Ty Cobb is a racist, a bigot, a Klansman, killed a man, beat up a man with no arms and no legs, threw games for money, and he's the first person they put in the Hall of Fame. He's the first person. So when I hear this steroid stuff, it's like, please, right, right. please. <laughs> right, right. What is this you're talking about? He's the first guy in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Ty Cobb, the worst human being that ever lived. Wife beater, everything. And good trivia about Cobb is the real Crash Davis shows up. He has a, he has a, a, a small... No, that's uh, in Bull Durham. No, but no, the the uh, the guy that, that Crash Davis was based oh, on. Oh, 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 well, it was Crash Davis. The actual Crash yeah, Davis yeah, shows well, up well, in Well, the Cobb. story, what happened was with Paul Durham is that Ron got this name out of nowhere. He just looked up in a book, you know, Crash Davis. Was good story. And so he named him Crash Davis. You know, think of the guy's dead 100 years. Well, first day of the, of the scene is the scene with uh, Susan Sarandon and, uh, and, and, and Kevin Costner. And this guy goes, Ron, there's somebody here who wants to see you. Who is he? He goes, it says he's Crash Davis. And this guy showed up, very you know, in-shape guy, about, you know, maybe about 60 at the time. And he says, I had no idea there was a real Crash Davis. He goes, he goes I, you, know, if you, if you, you know, we're going to use your name and stuff like this. Is there any problem? He goes, I just want to get one question. Do I get the girl? And Ron says, yes, you do. And that's her right there. There's another church right there. <laughs> that's a true story. Yeah. Did you, by the way, you know who, uh, you know who I, I, I talked about? Uh, were you a fan of Ealing Studio Comedies? Yeah, well, uh, Lavender Hill Mob yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 sure. I got. I was talking with Ian McKellen recently, and uh, because I'm a huge fan of Alistair Sim. Oh yeah, and, yeah. You know who is a definitive Scrooge? Yeah, I mean, yes. without a doubt, he yes. is the yeah. definitive Great Scrooge. And he, I like Mister McGoo. But he's also. <laughs> did you ever see uh, the ruling class with Peter O'Toole? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Alistair Sim is yeah. the priest. Of, yeah. Well, what's funny is that um, so. When we were shooting Batman, we shot at Pinewood Studios. There would be this huge uh, uh, pictures of all their movies up there, you know. And there was Sim, and I would talk to Jack. Jack would go, Nicholson would go, Sim. You know? <laughs> so years later, um, a couple of years ago, they had that movie Nine came out with Daniel Day Lewis, and I'm, for some reason, I'm at Daniel Day Lewis's table. And what am I going to talk to this guy about? You know, what am I going to talk? But then I remembered that his uncle or father ran Ealing Studios. He was like the president or something like that. And I so I said, were you a fan of Alistair Sim? And he lit up. And so suddenly I could talk, I had a, we had common ground. We talked about Ealing Studios. That's great. I mean, because you have the... Now, you know what's interesting is they went to... For the, you talk about the Lady Killers, right? Yeah. Well, Lavender Hill Mob well, and the Lady well, the Killers. The Lady Killers, yeah. they went to Alistair Sim to play the lead. And he passed on it. So Alec Guinness takes the part. But who does he look like in makeup? It's Alistair Sim. He puts the buck teeth uh, in there. Right, right. And, right, and it's Alistair Sim. 
<laughs> and McKellen was telling me he directed Sim twice. And he said, Sim like, only liked to be around young people. He believed that you should not have the vote after the age of 30. He said he always wanted to be around young people all the time. He was like, he was really dotty, you know, out there. But he said, but he had such, uh, he was such a character. I mean, because I love those movies. The Lavender Hill Mob. Oh, yeah, they're all good. Um, What's the one that went? Whiskey the man, Galore, in the, man in the White Suit. Man in the White Suit. Yeah, There's one, they're Heavens all good. Above, where they shoot sellers up into space and stuff yep. like that. Um, speaking, I heard you mention The Loved One. Who mentioned The Loved One? Oh, we, oh, we yeah. talked about it on a, on a previous show. Yeah, it's okay. a film I wanted to love, and it's so uneven. It's uneven. It's pretty dark, it's, but it's, it's very, very funny. It's, well, the can you can't beat that cast. It's very funny. Yeah, we're going to so invite dark. Robert Morris on I the mean, show. I mean, what's his Bob Morris and and Winters? Yeah, and and and, and, and Steiger. Steiger and Steiger. Yeah. Steiger's Mr. Joy Boy. Yes. Joy Boy. I once played cards with Steiger. Oh, I played cards with Steiger. He was part of this game I was part of, which I still yeah. play to this day. And talking about Lee Marvin. Yeah. And so the night before, I played cards with Steiger. I'm sitting next to Steiger. Oh, you think I know this? <laughs> <laughs> The night before, there was a special on Lee Marvin. So I'm standing next to I'm sitting next to Rod. I go, Rod, did you know Lee Marvin? He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he beat me out for the Oscar one year. <laughs> and I go, Capaloo, great movie. He goes, I can see him getting pissed. He goes, did you think that performance was better than mine in The Porn Broker? I said, he got more laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> So I could see him really get pissed off, but I had an ace in my hole. I go, besides, you won the next year, didn't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won for them in the heat of the night. The high night was the next yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but uh, Steiger was, uh, he was a trip. I mean, he was Steiger. Did you ever meet him, Gilbert? I know you're such a fan. Oh, I did meet him once. Uh, at, um, I think it was backstage at Politically Incorrect. And he told me that story like, in the cab scene and on oh, the waterfront. Oh, yeah, he's pissed. That, you know, you're supposed to, like, sit behind the camera and read your lines. Off camera, when you're the, doing your side. Yeah. You know, you shoot the master shot, the two shot, in the only cab in the world that ever had Venetia blinds. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, do you ever see a cab in the history of the world that had Venetian blinds yeah. only in on the waterfront? So, and you do the two shot, and they covered Marlon's side, and of course, Steiger's reading the off camera. When it comes time to shoot the other side, Brando takes off, right? Yeah. And, and, and Steiger uh, looks at me in that intense way, he, where his eyes open up, and he goes, I didn't speak to him for 20 years after that. <laughs> <laughs> I love your impression. <laughs> Did you ever see him on Bob Costas' later show? Oh, yeah. One of the great, when he yeah. loses it on the show, yeah. and he's talking about depression, he goes, let me tell you something about depression, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> When you have depression, you lose it in many ways. You lose it in many ways! I'm Al Capone! I'm Al Capone! I got that on VHS I, I, somewhere. I remember great. they asked George Siegel, who worked with him on No Way to Treat a Lady. Good movie. Yeah, like yes. Underrated yes. movie. We talked about that yes. on the show. Fun, funny movie. Talked, Fun movie. Who wrote it? Well, uh, don't, uh, William Goldman. William Goldman. Yeah. Fun movie. Yes. And but I remember the, when Remick, they when they sexy. asked George underrated Siegel, actress. Yes, George Siegel goes. Uh, he plays and, in the card game too. Yeah, they they said, oh, yeah, I'll have to ask you about him, George Siegel. They said, um, uh, what was it like working with Steiger? And he goes, well, 
Steiger was a force of nature. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he's like O'Toole. He's in one movie and everybody else is in somebody else. Yeah. Uh, James Coburn told me the same thing about working with Steiger. Yeah. And I love James Coburn. We shot, the last thing he did was Arliss. I had him, for years I had known Jimmy, and uh, I wanted him, because he was a big pothead, so we got along very well. <laughs> so, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to tell you Martin Landau's story, pothead. Oh, great oh, story man. about Steve McQueen. The, uh, <laughs> so... Jimmy and I, and so he, I, we had, we, we had our, Jim played a fictionalized version of DiMaggio. Yeah, I forgot what his name was. Uh, what the hell was his name? It wasn't, it wasn't the Splendid Splinter. I forgot. Uh, I can't think of his name, but it was, a, it was a fictionalized yeah. version, but he was DiMaggio. It was a great, dark, good episode. And, uh, but he had talked about Steiger, too. Yeah. But the question was about Pothead. So Landau, Marty, and I were talking about it. He was talking about great potheads of, of the times. And he said, he, he's doing, he goes, me and McQueen, they're doing Nevada Smith. Remember the movie Nevada Smith? Oh, yes, yes, sure. yes, sure. Well, he says, we're doing this movie and we're done for the day. And so we're in, we're in McQueen's dress, you know, this trailer and we're just getting high. And this is back in the 60s, so even though you still get a lot of trouble, you know, they left you alone, but you, you, know, you didn't do this on the street, you know, there's still laws yeah, and everything, yeah. you know, it's really... And he says, so we're done for the day and we're higher than a kite. And so I'm leaving and Billow's a smoker coming out. And I'm walking back and suddenly the director I see Henry Hathaway who was one of these old time true grit old timey tough motherfucker directors took no shit just walking towards us and I go Hank uh, something out he goes yeah we got uh, we finished early I want to do this two page scene just a bunch of dialogue scene with with, uh, Steve today by the end of the day they're just a two hander I'm sitting there and he goes Marty goes let me tell him okay (laughs) so he goes and he goes, you're not going to open up billows of smoke. And he says, you're not going to believe this. Hathaway wants to shoot this two-page scene. And he goes, okay. And McQueen took the page like this, and he saw his name, and he crossed out every piece of dialogue he had like this. So the guy sat down, and the guy would say, I hear you've been looking at me, looking for me. And McQueen would just smile. His eyes are redder than shit. And he goes, and just kind of smiles and nods his head. And the guy would say, well, I'm here. Uh-huh. You know, and he said, "Ain't hey, the whole scene goes? You, you got something to say to me?" And McQueen's just smiling away, saying nothing. He said, "Fuck if the scene doesn't work." He says, "You know, he says because that's movies. You show tight shots. You show reaction." He said, but he goes, he cut out every word of dialogue in the scene. Wow. Yeah, because he wasn't going to remember it anyway. So he he did that whole thing that way. Landau's so great in Mistress too. Landau's great. Yeah, Jack Landau, Roth. Marty had that run. Where he had uh, he had done the Woody Allen movie, oh, the Crimes, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Great in that. Yeah. You know, is that I I put that in the top five uh, Woody Allen movies. By yeah, far. Oh, yes, wonderful. That's, yes. that's still you know. I asked you about movies. If, if it's on, I'll go right into. Oh yeah. yeah, that one. He also told me how they fired Stephen Hill in the movie too. Melanda, Jerry Arbach wasn't his brother to begin with. Yeah, it was Stephen Hill, and he and Woody didn't get along, so he was fired, and Jerry Arbach gave yeah. it. Um, he had that, then he did. Uh, he had another one. He did Tucker. Yeah. And, oh, then, yeah, and then he had Mistress, and then uh, then he has Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so he has, all, yeah, and, and you know, he was talking. He was asking me about Tim because I had done Batman with Tim, and so he's about to work with Tim in uh, in uh, with Ed Wood, and you know, that's the, he's the movie. Oh yeah, he's, he's the wonderful. Movie in Ed Wood. Yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah. Showbiz is funny, isn't it? One day you're in uh, the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, yeah. and the next day you're winning the Oscar. <laughs> it is amazing. It, 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 you know, some people, I mean, I'm a member of the Oscars. So I can go off on and that. And you've written two, uh, two Oscar shows. Well, go yeah. off on the Oscars. Well, yeah. here's the thing about well, but You know what's funny? As a member of the Academy, they tell you very, it's hysterical. Do not divulge who you voted for. Yeah. Do not divulge. Now, you got every, 
person in Hollywood is a political activist. You know, talking about Obama or this one. You can, you can talk about who you vote for president, but God forbid yeah. <laughs> you should mention that's who you voted for the Oscar for. Right? <laughs> so I have a whole thing. So I, I, I love the Oscars. I mean, it's fun. But I have a whole take on who I vote for. And you have to remember that this is not some benevolent organization. I mean, I don't mean the Academy. The Academy is a benevolent organization. But the Oscar Awards, I remember how it started. It started in like the 1926, 27. And it was a dinner that the Academy, which were the five studios, put together to invite everybody in to try to bust the unions, saying, you don't have to unionize. We will take care of you. You don't need a writer's guild. You don't need a director's guild. You don't need the actor's guild. We will take care of you. And at the end of the night, the last 15 minutes, they gave out these medals, as he said. So anyway, so Louis B. Mayer said, my God, every, if you give out medals, they'll show up for anything. So this did not start by some great artistic achievement. thing. It started out because they wanted to bust the unions. So, But as Tommy Lee Jones, when we were doing Cobb, he was up that year, and he lost the year before for JFK, and then he was up this year for the, for the Fugitive, and that was a cranky week because he, he's a very competitive guy. And the whole talk around the, when we were doing Cobb, they go, boy, if Tommy doesn't week, he's going to be suicidal. I said, fuck that. If Tommy doesn't week, he's going to be homicidal. Do you know, so... And, but we, we talked about that. Those statues, this little thing, is worth a lot of money. These are worth money, a lot of money. And don't think because if they weren't, you don't really think that they would. The studios would be spending tens of millions of dollars on all these campaigns or tens of millions of dollars on lunches and dinners that I go to and part of this, these are worth because they're going to get money out of this thing. You, you say best picture, that's worth another 40, 50 million dollars. You get a best, I have a friend who runs one of the studios, says if I can get a better best actor nomination, that's 10 million dollars more for my studio. If I can get this, so these things are worth money, okay? And my dad, who was not in the business, used to say, I don't understand. How can somebody be the best actor one year and not the best actor the next year? Did he forget how to act? <laughs> That's a good question. He, my dad was, and he goes, I'll tell you who the best. Let everybody play the same part, and I'll tell you who the best actor is. And I would say, Dad, not even then. You could have different interpretations of the same thing. So to think that someone is the best is ludicrous. These are all good actors and everything. But here's my, here's my criteria on voting, because it is... And, and by the way, you don't get there unless you're good. So you've, at the very least, you gave a good performance. You're not going to say best. You gave an exemplary performance. So here's how I vote. Number one, who's my friend? That's number one, first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is my reason for that. And here's the reason for that. Because these things are worth money, I want my friends to have security with their families. That, you get an Oscar nomination, that means you will have hospitalization the rest of your life. Your family will have hospitalization the rest of its life. Uh, that is... Also, okay. Uh, also, wh- uh, here's a, also you've paid for it probably. If you're a friend of mine, you've probably paid your dues. Okay, so who's my friend is first and foremost. I want my friends to do better. I don't, you know, care about. You can't tell me this performance is better than that performance. You can't do it. You just can't. So I want my friends to do well. That's a b hard fast rule. No kids. No kids. There is no under no circumstances <laughs> zero tolerance. No kids. None. Zero. I, I give a fuck if a 12-year-old kid from Australia gets an Oscar. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? You're talking about people who have worked their whole lives, studied what the cattle calls their whole life, got rejected their whole life, and you're giving it to a fucking kid like that six-year-old I sat next to last year at a dinner from that uh, what, that movie in the swamp. What was that movie? Oh, the Beast of the Southern yeah, Wild. The, right, that's Sit, right. I'm sitting next to a six-year-old kid who's playing on fucking, you know, uh, fucking... <laughs> 
and she gets nominated for a fucking Oscar. What's her name? Quahenza Vaughn or something Wallace? It's like she's playing and doing fucking things like that. She's next to her. And you're giving her the Oscar. And she gets fucking nominated for an Oscar. Are you out of your fucking mind? You know, so no kids. If you know, and you can't give me an example. Where I've ever missed one. If I'm going to miss Jodie Foster, you know what? She'll grow up and become Jodie Foster. Right. And I'll vote for Tatum her. Tatum O'Neill. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. an example. Right. Tatum O'Neill. Right. I mean, no. What about Justin Henry from The Champ or the, the girl who was in The Goodbye Girl? Yeah. It's like you're taking away a spot from someone who has paid their dues. So that's there's no kids under there's no way, shape, fucking form that I would ever vote for a, you know for a kid. Also, I'm not voting for rookies. I'm not voting for anybody first time out. <laughs> There's no reason to. There is no reason. It's like, let me ask you a question. A guy comes up to bat the first time, hits a home run. You putting him in the Hall of Fame? No. No. <laughs> no. Let me see a couple of more at-bats here, you know? It's like, because if that's the case, Sandra Locke would have won an Oscar. Remember when she got... Oh, I mean, the heart I is a lonely Sandra hunter. Sandra Locke got an Oscar nomination. There's not too many worse actresses ever than Sandra Locke. <laughs> Okay, so no rookies, no fucking rookies. Okay, nobody who wins also for singing a song. You know, it's like I've, we've had how many people now sing a song and win an Oscar? Jennifer Hudson sang a song; she won an Oscar. Uh, what, that's all she did. She sang a song. Wait, wait, wait. and who's the way? I'm not done. Wait a minute, Anne Hathaway sang a song. Wow, sang she, a song. She, she also shaved her head and uh, and she lost sang a song. Somewhere. She's out of the movie in ten minutes. <laughs> She sang a song. Now, I'm not voting for anyone anymore. Then you got the Jennifers that come on. Jennifer Hudson, Jennifer Holiday, Jennifer, who's the other one? Jennifer, uh, uh, there's another Jennifer I'm losing here. Uh, there's another Jennifer. Jennifer Hudson, Jennifer Holiday. Who's the one who was in A Beautiful Life? What's her name? Oh, uh, Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly. Oh, okay. It's like, just say, none of this fucking Jennifer shit. Do you know? It's like, come on, pay your fucking... Like, I can tell you who I'm voting for right now for the Oscars, right? I'll tell you who I voted for. I'll break tradition, you know, and please forgive me. Uh, I'm voting for Lily Tomlin. I mean, did you see the movie Grandma? No. Okay, she's really good in it. I mean, now, you would say, is that an Oscar-winning performance? She's really good in the movie, and she's Lily fucking Tomlin. Right. These are, these are not, these are lifetime achievements. That's how work. you see them. I was just going to ask I totally that. see them, yeah. because... Body of not, work. What is the, because if you win an Oscar, the first line of your obituary is already written. Right. So if that's not a lifetime achievement award, I don't know what is. It's like this is. I mean, Doctor Hangnor. Fuck! What is this shit? <laughs> you know, like, you know, Doctor Hangnor. Well, the poor guy got murdered. I mean, it's like. I mean, really, really. Come on, can we have this bleeding hard shit? I mean, come on, Doctor Hangnor. Uh, I mean, God, give me a fucking break. Where do you stand on the on the gimp rule? On the what? The gimp. The what? gimp factor. Again, again, I take that into consideration. <laughs> but if it's a guy with a track record, a body of work, it's right. a little bit different right. than if it's, you know, first time Sandra Locke thing or right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who was another one? There was another one. Uh, I mean, it, but it's like not me. It's like, and also up until last year, we almost had you had three of the four winners. If Michael Keaton had won, all four would have been over fifty, and that has never happened. That has never happened. It, it was, there was a run at one point where there wasn't an actress who or a best actress winner who was over thirty-five. There was like a ten-year run without one of them. And it, Judy Dench changed it, and uh, Helen Mirren. That's the other thing I try uh, down the line is. 
if I don't have to, no Brits. <laughs> That's another thing. If I don't, no Brits. Because, you know, we live in this world, we have this bullshit idea that because somebody speaks with a Brit posh accent, yes. you know, that they're very, they know how to act. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, That's what the Baptists are for. You know, it's like, you know, now again, I have voted for Brits. I will not summon up my friends who I vote for. But as a rule, I keep it in America. Okay. Be, uh, <laughs> Peter Sellers for being there or Ben Kingsley for, uh, um, uh, wait, do I have this right? Nope. I, hang on. Was, nope. No, it was no. Peter Sellers for being there or Dustin, or Dustin Hoffman for Kramer versus Kramer. Peter Sellers. Okay. And Peter then, Sellers. and then. Yeah, had Dustin Hoffman won before though? He won for Midnight Cowboy. No, he didn't. Oh, no. oh you're right. You're John right. You're right. You're right. So that was his first one. That, if that's his first one, I can understand it. Right. Because uh, he's Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, well, he, yeah, 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 yeah. And the movie, uh, but I'll, but I'll, but I'll go another way. I'll say uh, Peter Sellers for Strange Love or Rex Harrison for My Fair Lady. There you go. The is, you there know. you go. Oh, yeah. who are some of the ones that like Sandra Locke? Who, who you go? Who the fuck? How did they every win that year. award? It's every year. <laughs> There's always one. It's every year. With the, but that said, though, the Academy does a lot of other stuff that's really good. I mean, that people don't see. The, the library that they do work, the exhibitions are great. The screenings are great. They have talks all the time. They do a lot of stuff that people don't see. They know the Oscars and it pays the rent. So I get that. But, you know, the Oscars is like the Hall of Fame. It's not the pearly gates here. So I'm voting for my friends. <laughs> yeah. And I'm voting for I want to do well. It's like, but no fucking kids. That I is, love that. They should have a juvenile award just as if they always they should have an award for comedy right they absolutely should have a because if you look I guarantee you over the next week you're going to see every 10 best list in the next couple of days I guarantee you there'll be maybe two comedies on a 10 best list maybe and then they're going to come out with their 10 worst lists. Always comedies. And there's going to be seven comedies. Because right. everybody Always. knows how to do comedy. Yeah, I've heard you speak right. about this. Yeah, everybody knows how to do comedy, but everybody knows it's much harder. But everybody, but on your 10, so why don't you give, you have your best animated films, you have best musicals, best right. documentaries. Why not have comedies? Now, I talked about this over with Ron Howard and Harvey Weinstein, and from a marketing point of view, it's much smarter. If I could put best comedy on my you know, marketing, that's more money. It's like, and you know why they won't do it? I know why. Because the Golden Globes do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the Golden Globes do, do it. And they would never, you know, how far be it to take an idea. Right. To me, it's like a good idea no matter where it comes from. Well, we've talked idea. about this. There's very few uh, comedies that get that kind of respect and recognition and very few of one best picture. Very few and are usually romantic comedies. Right. I can't think of a balls out comedy it ever did. Uh, I mean, what, any would you, hall? what would you call the apartment? Comedy drama. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, that's, and yeah, Shakespeare Annie, in Love. Annie Hall. It's, it's just like right. funny actors or comedians Never. in movies, they want to prove themselves by doing a dramatic right. part, because right. then you'll get respect. Right, exactly, you know, Hanks did all his comedies, it wasn't until he, you know, you know, played Forrest Gump uh, and he did uh, Philadelphia that he really got the, the, you know, the props there, and big, well, big. And, and AIDS is very big. Well, it used yeah. to be big. Well, it's still, it's still. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. It depends. If you're talking Tonys, if you're talking Tonys. <laughs> oh well, then, then you're. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the theater world now, so it's like trying to beat the, beating. I, I, there's two things that are really having challenge. Beating to, beating an AIDS-related thing at the Tonys is like beating the Holocaust at the Oscars. There you go. It's like, it's like you know you're wow. you know you're swimming upstream there. <laughs> A story to that effect. Uh, okay. My partner for Arliss, Mike Tolan, had a director, written and directed a, a documentary on Hank Aaron about 20 years ago called Chasing the Dream. It got nominated for the a documentary Best Picture. Uh, however, 
so at the same time he was getting all the he was getting all the um, getting all the arrangements done. And I said, this is going to cost more again because you got to get the car, you got your wife's got to get a gown. I mean, the tickets are five hundred. It costs a fortune to go to the Oscars. And I said, I go, Mike, you realize there's an Anne Frank documentary up against you here. It's like you have no chance. <laughs> none, none. You have zero chance. <laughs> So he goes, he goes to the he goes to the goes to the awards, and of course Hank Howard's there with him. And Hank, being a ball player and competitive, but a nice man, goes, "You know, Mike, I saw that Anne Frank documentary. That story's been told before." <laughs> Unbelievable! How do you argue with that? How do you argue with that? Oh God! Oh. We should let this man get on with his life. And it's yes. 112 degrees Jesus. in here. Okay. Yeah, and, it is hot and, here. And uh, yo, you want to say the name of your podcast? Oh, yes. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the po- I have two podcasts, actually. Well, two shows. One is on Monday nights on uh, Sirius XM Radio Fantasy Sports. That's Off the Wall. Oh, yes. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> i got to have a name with the wall nuts, Off the Wall. You know, uh, That's Off the Wall. It's on uh, Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. And that's a fantasy sports show, mostly baseball. I'm really into fantasy baseball. And I'm into baseball, period. We'll talk about sports films next time. Another time. Yeah. And then... Uh, on podcast, I am on CBS Digital, play.it, and the show is Ipso Facto with Robert Wall. Right, which is a terrific show, and a, and a lot of uh, a lot of versatility in your bookings. Frank Luntz, John Larroquette. Yeah, it was fun. You run the, you run the gamut. Luntz, I'm, it's amazing. Don I'm friendly, Was. I, I'm, I'm friendly with these, with, with uh, you know, I'm not political much. My, my dad was Republican. My mom was a Democrat. I think both sides are totally full of shit. You know, I just do. But I yeah, understand yeah. both points of view. I totally get it. So Luntz... I've become friendly with two conservatives, Frank Luntz and George Will. I'm pretty good friends with because of baseball. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan of both Frank and George especially. George wrote one of the best baseball books ever, Men at Work, uh, which is a great baseball book. And, uh, and George, you know, so those two guys, and I'm friendly with both of them. Frank's got one of the great, in his house, one of the great historical memorabilia collections. Yeah, oh, he's You'll have shit. to come to Gilbert's house. He has a uh, Lon Chaney Jr. life mask. <laughs> Did you ever know the reason why? I heard a story yeah. why Karloff didn't play the monster in uh, Albert Costello. Uh, well, I know he was just felt he was through with all of it. Had to it, be money. But, yeah, what? Had to be money. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, like they didn't hit yeah. the number. I'm guessing Because he did Abbott and Costello meet Jekyll and Hyde. So. Another pretty good movie, by yeah. the way. Yeah. That is a pretty good movie. I like yeah. that one. That one's okay with the way he turns into a mouse. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Strange was serviceable, but he wasn't Karloff. No, no, yeah. he was fine, you know. Yeah. But I got to tell you, that that's a terrific. You know why that movie's terrific? The danger's real. They didn't play the jo- the danger jokey. They, they didn't make the monsters into clowns. Right, they right. didn't. No, right. he's Dracula. Yeah, and and and, uh, and it's 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 really good, and it's well. Who who directed that one? Oh, oh. Is it Charles Buddy Barton. Vent? Is it Charles Barton? Charles Barton. Charles yeah. Barton. Yes, yes. He's no Jules White. Yeah. <laughs> he's no Earl C. Kenton. <laughs> How many of those do you think Jules White? How many of those things did he Jules do? Jules White. Oh my God! You got to believe he had to do. This poor guy was dying. I for know. A feature. Banging him out. I remember. Uh, hearing that one time uh, Curly Joe Dorita, who was the last Curly, was hanging out with uh, Emil Zitka, who was like this character actor in all of the uh, Stooges movies. And, you know, I now pronounce you man and wife. You know, he had like a German. And they were hanging out together, and and their interviewer said, both Curly Joe Dorita and Emil Sitka agreed that Jules White was a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
these two guys. <laughs> there you go. By the way, you know who else I heard was a big anti-Semite? I heard at the uh, game. <laughs> Henry Ford. Uh, well, yeah. 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 Uh, Andy Devine. Yeah, I've heard that too. Andy Devine. Didn't that break your heart though? Yes. Hey, Wild Bill, wait for me. You know, and, jingles. And according jingles. To, I always liked Andy Devine. According to... Uh, Man who shot Liberty Valance. That's right. According to Drew Friedman, Andy Devine and Clark Gable used to fuck each other. Oh, give me a... Yeah. <laughs> give me a fucking break. I mean, oh, now, if you, if you, let, let, let's, take, let's take the premise, which I don't buy for a second, that because Carl Gable fucked everyone, that Carl Gable was gay. If he was gay, if he was gay, do you think Why out of divine? all the pickle, out of all the people there, he's got Montgomery Clift, he's got James Dean, right. he's got Farley Granger, he's going to go, Jingles is the one I want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fuck Jingles. Well, Clark Gable... <laughs> Clark Gable uh, was attracted Clark! to... <laughs> Wait for me! Clark Gable was attracted to a sense of humor. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Andy. You might get him to buy Ty Randolph Power. Scott. Yeah, and- Ty Power I can buy. Ty Power I can buy. Tony Curtis would say, Ty Power I could buy. Ty Power I'd understand, but not fucking Andy Devine. <laughs> See, what pisses me off is you're on first name basis and friends with all these legendary stars. I, 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 know. I never met Ty Power. Yeah, I meet like, like actors or directors for once, and it's uncomfortable. And then I can never watch their movies. Again. Yeah, we've been through that. Harrison yeah. Ford, yeah. And Jeff Bridges. Yeah. yeah, what happened with Harrison Ford? <laughs> well, he wasn't his fault, he was nice. Uh, he. <laughs> I was. Welcome to part two with Robert Wool. Tonight show, <laughs> and and someone says Gilbert, and I turn around. It's Harrison Ford, and and he goes, "I'm I'm a big fan. I loved you in the Aristocrats," okay. and and you know, rather than saying what I should have said, thank you. Like, Move on. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours. He here he's the biggest star on the planet. And I could have said, uh, that, that means a lot to me. I'm a big fan of yours. I, I go, I figure I got to be funny. Yeah, I did. That, and yeah, and I it's did. like, you know, 90% of my life is a bad Gilbert Gottfried imitation. <laughs> so I, I shake his hand. I go, oh, thank you. And your name is? And did he buy? Did he get it? I, I, either way, I'm sure he thought I Another was a fucking head. asshole. Big, uh, yes. Another big pothead. I've heard that. Yeah, huge pothead. I knew. I knew a yeah. woman. No, no. Huge I pot- knew this huge, woman. Huge, huge, huge. You know, it's like with, with Tommy Lee Jones and I would get together. They did the fugitive. I don't think anybody was straight for two seconds. I, I knew this Good woman movie. who owned a Great restaurant yeah. on the Upper East Side, and she said, "Oh, you know." Uh, uh, Harrison Ford loves uh, my restaurant. He comes in all the time. And her son was there, and she goes, he's a pothead. He comes in when he has the munchies. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You could have said that to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of what you chose. I, I remember being, uh, we talked about uh, Jim Coburn used to say, have these great parties at his house, and me and Bill Moore and Jim would have a good time. <laughs> it was great. And who's the other guy you pissed off? Who's the other? Oh, uh, oh, oh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Yeah, what was that about? I just, I, the I, dude. The dude. Yeah, I had a photo that I took as a kid of Lloyd Bridges, yeah. and in Central Park, and and I was waiting and waiting, and then finally I barged into his dressing room, and I, he was nice. He was courteous. Was he fucking Andy Devine? And we. <laughs> <laughs> 
Gabby Hayes. You, you, walk, you walked in, <laughs> and there he is. He's fucking in. Although he was getting Ned Beatty. Fun. No, yeah. another, another Ned Beatty. Another anti-Semitic. Ned Beatty's an oh, anti-Semitic. Oh, story, oh well, we were going to ask him to do the show. There goes big, that big story. Ooh, big story. About what? That. What? Tell me. Uh, there's a story. I love Charles Beatty. Durning, who was as great a human being as ever lived. Yeah. Because I'd heard the story about Ned Beatty. And this went around. This went because he didn't work for a while. And I heard the story. And I, said, I said, Charlie, did you ever hear the story? And he goes, I was there. Now, Charlie Durney, you have to remember, was in the first wave of D-Day. And he helped, oh, yeah. he helped you know, open the camps. Mm-hmm. So Charles Durning had no tolerance yeah. for any kind of discrimination or any type of stuff like that. And he said, I was there when Durning went, when, when Ned Beatty went off and said, you tell those Jews back. He went off on the Jews saying, he was doing a movie. He said, you tell the Jews back there they can go fuck themselves. And, and he went off on it. So he goes, I was there for that. Now, again, Beatty denies it. So we give him the benefit of, well, you can yeah. give him the benefit of the doubt. The, uh, but he, you know something he said interesting, though? I watched him. I watched him. I'll tell you a great story, though, about him. Though. He said something. He said something really interesting. I watched him on Inside the Actor's Studio one time, yeah. and he was talking about Network. Yes. And you know he replaced an actor. On, he replaced the actor on Network. They fired the guy who originally was playing that part. Well, what was his name? Mister not not Beale. What was his name? Mister Jensen. Yes. Mister oh. Jensen. He was the head of the, uh, the conglomerate. And he said, he, he goes. So I came in, and he goes, here's something to note. But it goes back to me saying yes. no to the movie. Yeah. He said I was a day player on Network, and I got nominated for an Academy Award. He worked one day on network and got nominated no for the Academy. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. He said, so that's it. And I listened to this. I go, yeah, why? I, I should have learned this one a long time ago. You know, but the, how about that? You know, he does that whole, you have oh, meddled yes. yep. in the yep. primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale. And, and I heard that Charles Durning, he was a, a hero. Mm-hmm. He liberated the concentration And he wouldn't talk camps. about it. Yeah. No. He would not say a word. No, yeah. he would just, uh, we yeah. play cards constantly together. I must have played with Charlie 50 times. And one of the truly, he did Arliss. I cast, in fact, I cast the yeah. whole show mostly from the card game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was because it, it was Norby Walters, this XA sports agent, music agent. He has this dollar card game. It's a dollar game. If you lose every hand, you could lose $100. You, you could play in this game. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that bad. No, but it is. It's everybody like that. Do you know so, how to play poker, Gil? <laughs> no. No, half the people out there don't know either. Right. Half the people don't know either. It's more of a bullshit game. Bullshit. Charlie, uh, George Siegel plays all the time, and uh, that's where I know George from. I used to cast the whole show from the, from the, from the card game. <laughs> By the way, another Oscar pissed me off. How about the fucking guy from Captain Phillips? The guy who was the... Uh, oh, yes. The, the guy who was... The pirate. What's that? Yeah, the, the pirate. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what the fuck are you giving this guy an Academy Award nomination for? Stunt nomination. It's like, what the fuck? It's like, you're taking a nomination away from an actor to give it to this guy with three teeth? And, it's, <laughs> and he's doing this bullshit stuff. Give me a fucking break. And you're going to spend millions of dollars promoting this guy? What is he, what, you know, what is he going to do? I hear he's the next Tevye on Broadway. <laughs> I hear he's he's going to do Tevye. He's doing the tour, the Captain Phillips tour. They're like, what the fuck? Oh, boy. This is going to go viral, Robert. Okay. What the fuck? Let's let Lang Noor and this guy. Right. And the, uh, or the kid from The Sixth Sense. You know, it's like another one. What yeah. the fuck? Fuck. Yeah. Come on, 50 other kids could have said, I see dead people. Come on. No fucking kids. None of this stunt shit. And have a, you know, it's like it's like Bill Parcells. Can the guy win a couple of games before we put him in the Hall of Fame? Exactly. You know. 
<laughs> Next time we'll talk about sports and sports okay. movies. <laughs> yes. Don't get me started. <laughs> All right, Gil. <laughs> okay. If Robert wants to hear the end of that Jeff Bridges story, he'll have to tune into another yes, episode. Yes. So what happened with Bridges? No, he was. I mean, he was very courteous. <laughs> hey, did he take a picture of you? Yeah. What you well, doing? I kept waiting. I because uh, he came in late. He was well, late. Were you were meeting. This is the Tonight Show, also. Yeah. Okay. And he he came in late, and then I was waiting outside his dressing room, and everyone kept coming in and talking to him, and, and Leno was talking to him. And then finally, I barged in at the last second, and I, I, I said, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go to Central Park with my sister, and he goes, yeah. And that was already an uncomfortable, like you're rushing, get yeah. to the point. And then I showed him <laughs> the picture, and he was, he was nice. Yeah courteous and he said uh and and but i just remember it as being uncomfortable so now harrison ford and jeff bridges i can't watch anymore oh because you feel like there's something there yeah there was something uncomfortable (laughs) neither one was a bad person necessarily but uh well the the good news is lately they have there's not so you're not gonna go see star wars What if you get cast in a movie with Jeff Bridges and Harrison Ford? You're not well, going to watch well, yourself? If, if there's money involved. Yeah, really? Yeah. I'll, really? I'm with him. I'm totally I'll with work you. with Al-Qaeda if there's money. Yeah, really. Which reminds me. Which, which reminds me. We talked about... Have, has, anybody heard the, has anybody heard the new ISIS podcast that's coming on later? Oh. It's like, yeah, everybody's got a podcast. ISIS has got one. They got everybody. Mel ISIS is going to have... <laughs> Okay. So, <laughs> I'm Gilbert Godfrey. Yes, you are. And I'm Andy Devine. Ooh. Ooh. It's Andy. Bend over so I can fuck you in the ass. Ooh. Okay, Wild Bill. Well, you're not Wild Bill. Woo. I guess now I know why you did the misfits. Yeah. yeah. Andy, I want to give you a blowjob. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> Andy Devine, who came up with that? Hey, Andy Devine. Andy, I want you to come all over my face. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gilbert Gottfried, once again, <laughs> in case you forgot. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, uh, at the legendary <laughs> Friars Club. <laughs> Lost twelve pounds. And, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And and, <laughs> and and we've been talking to someone I've known for too long. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Wall. Oh, well, thank come you. back, Robert. Thank oh, you. We'll, do, we'll, we'll have thank more fun you. next time. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, <laughs>